strong. Ash. Bone. And sickle. Bleeding saints and forest witches. The past unburied. The books unsealed. The old celebration returning. Hello and welcome to my study. Please uh, have a seat. The gentleman to my right, of course, is my valet, Wilkinson. Uh, he assists in pulling books we use uh, in reading any specific quotations. Pleased to meet you. You'll notice we've swept up all the leaves that previously decorated the study floor. Uh, trying to uh, tighten things up a bit more around here, given all the chaos of uh, recent shows. We're still dealing with the cat issue, unfortunately. It seems to have uh, gone into the walls or somewhere. We still haven't actually seen the thing, wherever it is, or was. It's been two or three days since we've even heard it. Well, there are some differences of opinion here. Uh, Wilkinson can get a little abstracted in his uh, daily routines and doesn't hear things. Well, my hearing is acute, however, and there was a kind of sound just yesterday. Uh, not exactly a cat, perhaps, but something. But it may actually be gone by now, one would hope. The glazier actually saw the thing when he was here. It's black, apparently. You kept him for nearly an hour after he was done, complaining about Dr. Kudinaris. He was only being polite. It's been seen and heard, and certain things have gone missing. My clip for the bandage last week, for instance, uh, the stapler, and... How do you explain the brandy missing from my bottle, Friday? I never drank all that. Uh, no, sir. Well, it seems clear to me what we need to do is get a dog. For the cat, sir? Of course for the cat. Well, we can't go back to Mrs. Fairchild, I'm afraid. Who? The breeder you hired to find you... Uh, whatever that breed. Neapolitan Mastiff. The thing wouldn't even look me in the eye. Well, the whole thing, flying the dog all the way from Portugal, then sending it back the next day, she was rather upset, and so were you. Yeah. I don't want to see you go through something like that again, sir. I'm not talking about that kind of dog. Perhaps something a bit easier to find. Not common, of course, but easier to procure. It's, it's not the breed. I'm not talking about a physical dog. Mark Norman gave me the idea. A folklorist friend of mine from the UK. He's an expert on phantom dogs, black dog legends. So, a phantom dog for a phantom cat? He, he didn't say that exactly, but the idea seems sound. I'm not sure how one goes about recruiting one, but it seems worth discussing. I'm going to see what ideas he might suggest. Of course, sir. Well, let's get going on the show. Your notes ready? Yes, sir. Episode 14, Singing Bones and Scrumptious Children. Uh... 
So I am your host, Al Reidenauer, and this is Bone and Sickle, an exploration of the historical intertwining of horror and folklore. I began the show as a way to share extra material inspired by research for my book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas, a topic that I will finally be discussing in our next uh, end of November episode, just before the season starts. Shows are generally twice a month or every two weeks, uh, released usually on Mondays. And I'd like to welcome our new listeners and particularly new Patreon subscribers as they keep the show alive uh, in return for some interesting rewards, uh, which I'll be enumerating at the end of the program. I think that sets us up for this episode, in which we'll be looking at uh, some darker elements in uh, fairy tales and folk songs and a bit of history. And many's the poor young orphan lad At the first square meal he'd ever had A hot meat pie made out of his dad From Sweeney Todd the barber That would be uh, meat pies made by a Mrs. Lovett Co-conspirator with Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street um, of course, nowadays everyone knows the character from the Tim Burton adaptation of Stephen Sondheim's musical, but Sondheim's musical itself was based on an uncredited Penny Dreadful serial published between 1846 and 47, one entitled The String of Pearls, A Romance. Uh, this story also appeared in the Newgate Calendar, uh, which was originally a publication of London's Newgate Prison, providing news of executions, and then increasingly salacious and fictitious stories, such as that of our demon barber. The musical clip, by the way, was from a 1956 recording of a song from the 1930s by R.P. Weston, who was also responsible uh, for the song about Anne Boleyn's headless ghost mentioned in our Lost Heads episode that was with her head tucked underneath her arm. Underneath her arm she walks the bloody tower with a head tucked While there exists no official record of any such barber or barber shop on Fleet Street, it's likely that urban legends circulating earlier in the century regarding Mysterious meats filling the pies sold in the city may have contributed to the uh, Sweeney Todd story. Dickens, uh, in his Pickwick papers, for instance, has a character recommending one only purchase pies. When you know the lady has made it and is quite sure it ain't kitten. And in 1843, only two years before the character of the Demon Barber makes his uh, literary debut, uh, Dickens, in his novel Martin Chuzzlewit, has a character offhandedly mentioned. Dens of any of those preparers of cannibalistic pastry who are represented in many country legends as doing a lively retail business in the metropolis. An even more explicit inspiration for the Sweeney Todd story does, however, exist. Not in London, but on the continent, and not from the 19th century. But I'll, I'll save that tasty morsel, so to speak, for the end of the show. Now, 
The reason I mentioned Sweeney Todd is that it shares a theme or trait with one of the more ghastly fairy tales collected by the Brothers Grimm, uh, namely the idea of uh, accidental cannibalism. The story is The Juniper Tree, published in 1812 in the original edition of the Grimm's collection of children's and household tales, what we call Grimm's fairy tales. Um, you will tend to find this story in children's anthologies, actually, and it certainly would never lend itself to a, a Disney treatment, though it did serve extremely loosely as a sort of inspiration for a uh, beautifully uh, stark and somber 1990 film of the same name, uh, one from Iceland, which, uh, being from Iceland, naturally starred Bjork. Uh, you're hearing something of the soundtrack from that film in the background right now, by the way. So, the story tells of a couple longing for a child. After some months, this wish is fulfilled, and the mother gives birth to a son. And when she saw it, she was so happy that she died. I told you it was dark. Um, so, she is buried beneath uh, the family's juniper tree, as previously requested, and her uh, widowed husband eventually goes on to marry a woman with a daughter from a previous marriage. So, eager that her daughter not share any inheritance when that day comes, she turns out to be quite an evil stepmother to the boy, deciding one day to kill him and uh, tempts him toward his doom, uh, offering him a uh, treat from a chest full of apples. Come with me, she said, opening the lid of the chest. Take out an apple for yourself. And while the little boy was leaning over, the evil one prompted her, and crash! She slammed down the lid, and his head fell off, falling among the red apples. Then fear overcame her, and she thought, maybe I can get out of this. So she went upstairs to a room, to her chest of drawers, and took a white scarf out of the top drawer and set the head on the neck again, tying the scarf around it so that nothing could be seen. Then she set him on a chair in front of the door and put the apple in his hand. When her daughter, Malinchen, uh, encounters the corpse, she tells her mother that her stepbrother seems uncommonly white and doesn't respond to her request to share his apple. The mother uh, sets up the poor child, sending her back to the brother, uh, telling her to box his ears should he ignore her again. And when she does, his head topples from the uh, stump of his neck and... The girl runs screaming back to her mother. Marlena, said the mother, what have you done? Be quiet and don't let anyone know about it. It cannot be helped now. We will cook him into stew. Uh, when the father comes home, uh, his suspicions are raised by his son's absence, but he sure does like the stew he's been served, uh, asking, in fact, for seconds, since neither the mother or daughter seem to be eating much. After the meal, Marlinchen uh, gathers up the bones from the stew, which had been thrown under the table, and ties them in her best silk scarf and takes them to the juniper tree, where she lays them to rest, grieving mightily the whole time. Uh, so mightily that she's actually described as 
crying tears of blood. She lies down beneath the tree, and after some time, the juniper tree began to move. The branches moved apart. They moved together again, just as if someone were rejoicing and clapping his hands. At the same time, a mist seemed to rise from the tree, and in the center of the mist, it burned like a fire, and a beautiful bird flew out of the fire, singing magnificently, and it flew high into the air. Her stepbrother, it seems, has resurrected as this uh, marvelous bird, which then flies to a goldsmith's house where it sings its uh, marvelous song, uh, telling the story of the crime that has just transpired. In unrhymed translation, it loses uh, its beauty, but here's a snippet of the uh, German sung by the uh, Russian uh, neoclassical ensemble Caprice. The goldsmith marvels at the bird's song and asks to hear it again. But the bird first bargains for an exchange of uh, his song for one of the gold chains the craftsman is uh, making. The song is again sung and the chain collected. A, a similar scene is repeated with a shoemaker giving the bird some new shoes and uh, Miller uh, who contributes a millstone, all of which somehow the bird carries as it flies. Then the bird returns home to sing its song. The husband hears the uncanny music and tells his wife he is going to go outside to hear the bird, but the mother is filled with supernatural dread. Oh, don't go, said the woman. I feel as though the whole house were shaking and on fire. The bird makes a gift of the gold chain to the man and the shoes to the daughter, and you may have guessed the end, but the Grimms add some very theatrical touches as they describe the wife rushing out to see the bird. And as she went out the door, crash! The bird flew the millstone on her head and it crushed her to death. The father and Marlena heard it and went out. Smoke, flames and fire were rising from the place. And when that was over, the little brother was standing as with all the tales the Grimm's collected, there are multiple versions of uh, this uh, story from many countries. Uh, usually the wicked stepmother is killed by a millstone, but uh, the Austrian version, for instance, has her crushed by a heavy storeroom door while chasing the bird. Uh, a British version, the, the rose tree, switches the daughter into the victim's role with the stepmother pretending to comb out the hair of the doomed child. Now, said the wicked woman, Lay your head down on the block while I part your hair. Well, she laid down her little golden head without fear, and whisk! Down came the axe, and it was off. So the woman wiped the axe and laughed. <laughs> then she took the heart and the liver of the little girl, and she stewed them and brought them into the house for supper. The Romanian tale, Why Does the Cuckoo Call Cuckoo, adds an even more grisly touch with the stepmother requiring the sister to prepare the boy's flesh for the meal. Oh, 
That little audio oddity is from the 1962 film The Wonderful World of the Brothers Grimm. It's a version of a song sung in the tale, The Singing Bone, which uh, overlaps thematically with the juniper tree. The uh, peculiar quality of the voice, by the way, is rendered peculiar via the uh, Sonovox, an early voice effects device that was used in a number of novelty songs, uh, radio jingles, and children's records from the 1940s into the 60s. Now, The Singing Bone also appears in the first edition of the Grimm Collection and tells the story of two brothers competing to kill a wild boar that's been goring and ripping to pieces inhabitants of the land. The king offers his daughter as a prize to the successful hunter. The youngest of the brothers is said to be slow-witted. But fortune smiles upon him as he sets out to hunt the boar. A little dwarf stepped up to him. He held a black spear in his hand and said, I am giving you this spear because your heart is innocent and good. With it, you can confidently attack the wild boar. It will do you no harm. He defeats the animal, but on his way to display his trophy to the king, he is uh, set upon by his brothers who kill him, bury his body in a sandy riverbank, and present the dead boar to the king, and thereby one of them at least claims the princess. There are versions with uh, w- one other brother or two other brothers. But the story goes on. One day a shepherd was crossing the bridge when he saw a little bone beneath him in the sand. It was so pure and snow-white that he wanted it to make a mouthpiece from so he climbed down and picked it up. Afterward, he made a mouthpiece from it for his horn, and when he put it to his lips to play, the little bone began to sing by itself. The song, as you heard earlier, uh, incriminates the murderer who is sewn into a sack and thrown into the river to drown. So, the bones convict the murderer, something we saw more indirectly in the juniper tree, where the Victims' bones are left at the tree's base and somehow seem to play a role in enchanting the tree from which comes the brother's soul in the form of a bird. Well, this isn't the most direct connection, but there are quite a few folk tales more directly related to the Grimm's singing bone story. Um, In Italy, for instance, a tale known as the griffin has three brothers competing to find a magical griffin feather. It has the usual fratricide and a similar resolution with a musical bone revealing the murderer. A Swiss variant, the dead girl's bone, uh, has a competition also, this one for the kingdom's throne revolving around the discovery of a certain flower. Folktale variations like this became easier to... uh, compare and find uh, back in 1928 with the creation of a sort of cataloging system that assigned numbers known as the uh, Arne Thompson tail type numbers. The uh, singing bone, for instance, is 18 number 780 under the category, the truth comes to light. I mention the system because uh, actually in itself, it's a fairly interesting read, though many of the tales uh, originally cataloged uh, survive only as uh, the synopses and the listings. I wish, uh, for instance, I could still read 780B, 
the speaking hare. A stepmother buries a girl, alive. Her hair grows as wheat or bush and sings her misfortunes. Thus she is discovered and dug up alive. The stepmother is buried in the same hole. Another almost forgotten tale, number 780C, the telltale calf's head, talks about the uh, murder of a priest being revealed when a sheep's head he buys from a butcher transforms into the severed head of the priest. But back to number 780, singing bone type. I'll give you some more more closely related to Grimm's version, but with uh, blood playing a major role. A uh, Swiss story, another Swiss story, uh, The Little Bone, tells of the uh, supernatural conviction of a cruel herdsman who drowns his servant boy by pushing his head into a kettle of boiling milk. Um, he throws the boy's body into a mountain creek, claiming the boy was uh, carried off by wolves. Um, then, sometime later, the herdsman has gotten drunk at a fair and wanders off to a nearby stream to quench his thirst. He finds washed up on the sand a small white bone, which he decides would look lovely tucked into his hat band. Then he returns to the fair. Um, by the way, this isn't as weird as it sounds, at least not given the Alpine tradition of uh, charavari. That is, uh, little charms or collections of charms strung together and worn particularly on lederhosen. Uh, bones, boar teeth, as well as gems and silver coins are all part of these little collections. In any case, the, the bone in question, of course, is one belonging to the murdered servant boy. And uh, as the herdsman walks through the crowds, it begins to emit a stream of blood, which uh, naturally alarms the fairgoers who quickly grasp the meaning of the sign. Uh, the festivities are quickly terminated and the herdsmen put to death. Uh, there's another story of conviction by a bleeding bone from Iceland called Murder Will Out. Once upon a time in a certain churchyard, some people who were digging a grave found a skull with a knitting pin stuck through it from temple to temple. The priest took the skull and preserved it until the next Sunday, when he had to perform a service. The skull is fastened over the porch of the church, and after the mass, the priest watches for a sign as each parishioner passes under it as they leave. But there is one who has lingered and, though unwilling to leave, is eventually forced out. As she passed under the porch, three drops of blood fell from the skull onto her white headdress, and she exclaimed, Alas! Murder will out at last! Now, this belief about murderers and bleeding bones, or at least bleeding corpses, was not just the stuff of folk tales. It was an actual practice called cruentation, uh, from a Latin phrase meaning staining with blood. And it was an accepted element of criminal law in Germany, Denmark, Bohemia, Poland, Scotland, and even in the United States. Uh, Cruentation was also called the beer rite, not that kind of beard, uh, referring to the platform upon which the corpse was laid. And um, it's uh, speculated that the jostling of the body onto the beer or the prodding the corpse could sometimes actually produce results that would seem to convict a murderer. 
Now that's the result of what's called purge fluid, a dark substance produced by the liquefaction of the organs squeezed out by swelling gases inside the abdomen and uh, the sorts of external pressures just mentioned. The uh, Beerite is uh, referenced in a number of historic works of literature, such as the uh, German legend, the Nibelungenslied, and in Shakespeare's Richard III. During the funeral of Henry VI, Lady Anne accuses the murderer in the corpse's presence, saying, Oh, gentlemen, see, see, dead Henry's wounds open their congealed mouths and bleed afresh. Blush, blush, thou lump of foul deformity, for tis thy presence that exhales this blood from cold and empty veins where no blood dwells. Thy deed, inhuman and unnatural, provokes this deluge most unnatural. The practice, uh, surprisingly, continued to a particularly late date in America. It's uh, mentioned in Tom Sawyer when suspicion falls on Injun Joe as he uh, moves a murdered man into a wagon and the body begins to bleed anew. As late as 1888, it's mentioned by an Ohio judge in his life and reminiscences of Honorable James Emmett. Emmett uh, talks about a murder victim being exhumed in 1818 in order to conduct the beer rite murdered man's hair and beard had grown fully one half an inch and his body was fairly alive with slimy grave worms that were feasting upon his flesh the stench arising from the decaying body could not have been endured under less exciting circumstances uh, besides providing another tidbit of horror for our show the quote here uh, reminds us of uh, the emotional dynamic at play in these rites. Uh, 19th century folklorist William Henderson suggested that uh, customs of touching a corpse or, or kissing it, uh, it fits into a larger symbolic framework, uh, physically expressing the desire to resolve the relationship between the living and the dead. Uh, kissing or touching the corpse before it's buried was uh, for many cultures, a sort of peacemaking gesture intended to uh, prevent the deceased from tormenting the innocent parties left behind. There is also an English folktale by the name of Binori that uh, references an instrument made of the bones of a murder victim betraying the murderer. The tale, however, is really just a prose version of a much older song by the same name, uh, with the place name Benori figuring in as a refrain. Um, sometimes the songs known as the Bonnie Bows of Benori or the Bonnie Bows of London. Uh, the more common name of this uh, murder ballad is uh, the Cruel Sister or the Two Sisters, or perhaps most common of all is the Scottish the Twa Sisters. There were two sisters in a bower, hey with the gay and the grandeur. There were two sisters sat in a bower um, There's even an American version that arrived in Appalachia via Scotland or England, which is usually called. The dreadful wind and rain is a refrain in that one, like Benori is in the English song. 
The ballad involves a rather different competition between siblings, not a boar hunt or a search for a magic feather, but a romantic rivalry. Two sisters, the elder dark and sociopathic, and the younger fair and eventually murdered, uh, share a love for a suitor who is sometimes uh, called a knight. Um, often a ring or some token of affection is given the favored younger sister with the grim consequences. The jealous sister uh, then convinces the younger to join her at the river or sea where she pushes her in. Verse 2 is spent with the younger begging the older to pull her back out, but uh, all in vain, and she drowns. When her body floats ashore, things get even weirder. A musician spies her body and decides to make either a harp or a fiddle from the corpse, using the breastbone for the instrument's frame and her golden hair for its strings. Um, disturbingly, there's actually never any mention of the body being buried and bones rediscovered, nor really any lapse of time suggested, so it's hard not to picture him just uh, spotting the wet corpse and getting to work carving up the body for his uh, purposes. But uh, maybe that's just my take on, on it. He's made a fiddle from her breastbone. Hey, with the gay and the grandeur. Now, as you might imagine, this instrument is possessed by the spirit of the dead sister, and the musician soon finds that his new instrument plays of its own accord only a single tune, one telling of the murder. This usually occurs at the home of the sister or at the wedding of the uh, murderous sister. Oh, yonder is my sister who drowned me at the bonny bonny bows of London town. And all of this not only ruins the wedding, but has more serious consequences for the bride, the elder sister. They hung the eldest on the gallows so high, hey, with the gay and the grandeur. The song can be dated to at least 1656, when it appeared uh, as a broadside uh, as The Miller and the King's Daughter. I'll, I'll explain the part about The Miller shortly, but uh, in this version, there's a bit different elaboration of the musician's repurposing of the uh, murder victim's body parts. What did he do with her fingers so small? He made him pegs to his fiddle withal. What did he do with her nose ridge? For his fiddle he made him a bridge. What did he do with her veins so blue? He made him strings to his fiddle there too. So a miller is often mentioned as the body of water is a mill stream towards which the uh, sister is floating. The miller is called upon to shut off his mill before she floats in. Sometimes she's already dead and the business with the bones and the hair commences, but in uh, other versions he fishes her out, still living. Um, not to worry, there's still no happy ending, at least not for now. 
the jealous sister shows up to bribe the miller with golden rings, as we hear in this cover of the song by Mr. Tom Waits. A miller, he received the five gold rings and pushed that maiden in again, and I'll be... Of course, these things do have consequences, even in folk songs, and... Uh, the miller was hung in the old mill gate. And in some versions, the uh, cruel sister is also hung, or even uh, sometimes boiled in lead. Uh, versions of the song even exist in Scandinavia, perhaps suggesting that the English language version came over with the Saxons. <laughs> Uh, 125 versions exist in Sweden alone, according to one count. And um, even though some variations have the Miller actually saving the girl, other versions don't scrimp on the darker elements. In one Swedish version, the song of the uh, haunted heart causes the uh, heart of the cruel sister to literally explode. And in another Scandinavian version, the instrument is a pipe which spews blood upon the guilty sister, resulting in her execution, uh, which is a particularly horrific execution, as she is pulled apart by horses. Now, I did promise at the show's beginning I'd come back to something... Uh, historical figure upon which Sweeney Todd was based. Uh, but this one's not associated with Fleet Street, but the Rue de Mamousse in Paris. Even before The String of Pearls was published in 1846, there were nearly identical stories told in the City of Lights. You can find accounts that place the events in Paris uh, in, in 1801, but the fact is there's a much older chronicle by a friar, Jacques de Breux, published in 1612, placing events in the 15th century around the year 1430. The location remains the same, a barber's shop on the Rue de Mamouse. It is from time immemorial that the rumor ran that there was in the city of Paris, street of Mamouse, a murderous pastry cook who killed in his house a man and was helped by his neighbor, Barbier, who was pretending to shave his beard. His flesh made pies that were better than others, especially since the flesh of man is more delicate than that of other animals. This is the uh, earliest account in print, but further details eventually clustered around these bare bones. Uh, the reputation of these pastries was supposed to have been so marvelous that uh, Charles VI was supposed to have even sent for some. Uh, like uh, Sweeney Todd, the pair were said also to have preyed upon strangers in the city, particularly foreign students. Um, and after the crime was discovered, the baker and his accomplice are said to have been burned alive in iron cages before an enthusiastic crowd. And the building itself was torn down as the spot was believed cursed. Records do indicate that for over a century, the lot upon which it stood apparently remained vacant, uh, a suggestion that there may have indeed been some factual basis for these uh, legends. Oh, and the manner in which the pair were discovered? 
It was an animal, as in our earlier tale of cannibalism. Not a bird from a juniper tree, but a dog belonging to one of the unfortunate visitors expecting a shave. Its incessant whining while tied up outside led to the discovery of the body of its butchered master. Always man's best friend to the end. I do hope you all have been enjoying our shows and will continue listening and, and tell your friends about what we do here. And please like and comment where and whenever you can. Uh, reviews and likes and shares via social media are very important for the continuance of the show. We particularly would appreciate reviews from those of you who enjoy the show because uh, they really make all the difference in the show's visibility on Apple Podcasts and other distributors. Our website, boneandsickle.com, provides links to our Facebook group and Twitter, along with uh, show notes replete with images and video links to any outside music used in the program. Uh, music and sound design otherwise is all original for the show. By the way, I'll be doing some Krampus-oriented talks in California and Arizona, as well as organizing Krampus events in uh, California. So if any of this is of interest to you, you can find more information on the Bone and Sickle website under the Events tab. And you can also find our donor link there. Uh, Patreon members have a choice of gifts and incentives, including exclusive access to extra elements that go into the making of the podcast, uh, digital downloads of rare books used in the preparation of the show, uh, the show soundscape you hear in the background, and my Krampus book, as well as a signed 8x10 photo of Wilkinson suitable for framing and adulation. Donation levels begin at $1 a month, and your support via Patreon is the sole thing that keeps us going as a bi-monthly release. Thanks to all who do support this podcast, including our latest patrons, uh, Arzen Putzma, uh, Arnim Summer, Sabrina Brewer, and Dustin Kelm. Apologies if I bungled any of your names. Uh, this show is written and produced by me, Al Reidenauer. Uh, Wilkinson is played by Rick Gallagher. Thanks so much for listening.